Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org forward slash resources. I just wanted to uh, say something before Julie shares. Um, This always happens. I stand up here overwhelmed just because I remember the first time I walked in this building and I thought y'all were crazy. I went home in the car and I said, this ain't church. I don't know what that was, but that is not church. And the Holy Spirit brought me back and brought me back. And I found out that this was more church than anywhere I'd ever been. And now 12 years later, and I've done this several times, I've had the opportunity. It's overwhelming to think that I could stand up here and be blessed to preach the word of God to you. I'm so not worthy. But what I was going to say is um, pray for us and pray for our son, Brooks. He's um, living here now, away from us. It's really tough. Um, and, uh, he's going to be going into the Coast Guard, uh, boot camp, August 29th. And, uh, daddy tries to rescue souls and my son wants to be a rescue swimmer to rescue people who are in trouble in the ocean. So, um, he wants to jump out of helicopters. I don't know why someone would want to do that, but... <laughs> But um, I just ask you to pray for him um, and for us because this is a big transition for us. All right. Well, good morning. <laughs> um, I'm just going to share briefly um, what God is doing in Costa Rica. Um, we have been there 12 years. Um, we started a bilingual church probably nine years ago. And a year ago, God uh, gave us a piece of property on the main road in the center of the town that we had been serving. So we're in the process of raising money to to build a church there. And our goal is $200,000, and uh, we'll be sending out a Facebook um, little short video clip of of the ministry and um, asking you to do three things for us. And those three things are donate, if you can, uh, share it with a friend, and pray for us. Um, God is just blessing us. We're in a a, a really special time. We've been sowing and planting and transforming. We've been more transformed than anybody, I think. Um, Transformation's not easy. It's hard. Um, So pray for your pastor and his wife and their family. Um, But God has a plan in all of it. And he's, you know, as the song says, he's making diamonds out of us. So the longer the process, the more refined we're going to be. Um, so we're just an exciting time. It's just amazing what God is doing. Um, I was telling Tom at lunch that um, we're busy, obviously, all the time. There's things to do. There's so much need. Costa Rica is a very interesting place. There's a lot of uh, wealthy people that come and retire, but there's a, also a lot of locals who don't have anything. And part of my um, job, if you will, is to go visit the poor. That's what I love to do. Uh, Peyton and I both have always had a heart for the poor, for those in need, um, for the hurting, for the sick. So every week I go out and do that um, with a team of people. And God is just showing up. He told me if, if I went, he would show up. And he's been moving so powerfully. And we're going to the beaches, and the people are under tents and plastic, and they have absolutely nothing. And we're, we're sharing, and we're just loving on them. And before we can even get started, uh, a couple weeks ago, God just... Wow. God. Woo! Hope that... Is that a good... Woo! <laughs> That's a... Hang on. We might... I think check, we're check. out. Are we out? Hello? Okay. Well, I, I talk loud anyway. 
Um, anyway, we, we were out, and um, before we could really even get into, um, you know, praying, uh, two grown men just started crying and said, we want to receive the Lord. And I thought, well, we ain't even got to that part yet, you know. Hello, hello. <laughs> you know, give me a minute, you know. Oh, but, no, no. Uh, you know, it hello, was just, hello, we're back. Okay. It was just overwhelming just to see God just drop his spirit. And we're walking along. They receive the Lord. Another lady comes up. She's lost everything. She's looking for water. Um, we said, well, we'll pray for you. We started to pray. She just releases everything, um, receives the Lord. It's just we're doing nothing different. He's just showing up. And we're just being faithful to do what he's calling us to do. And I, I'm just so humbled by that. Um, because I know that if I'm faithful to him, he's faithful in return, and he's always faithful. But he's just waiting for us to do what he's called us to do. Takes all the pressure off, because I was saying in our prayer time, it's about being and not doing. If I'm connected to the vine and I'm in relationship with him, fruit, I'm going to bear fruit. That's right. I'm yeah. going to bear much fruit. Amen. And so it's just exciting. It's exciting. It's an expectation that you get up every morning and you get to do this. It's not what I give up. It's what I get. I, mean, I get to participate in the kingdom activity. And I think sometimes in our world we get so caught up in the negativity and the craziness that we forget that we are connected to God Almighty. And he has a plan and a purpose every day and in everything we do. And the Lord had told me Matthew 25, and I, I said, he took my word, you know. Um, yes, Matthew 25, it is about the virgins. It's about the, the ten, five wise, five foolish. And I just want to encourage you because what I felt like the Lord has been saying to me is to always be ready. Your lamp needs to be filled every day with oil. Every day, be expecting my return. Be expecting the kingdom to come upon you and to live as though maybe today is your last day or this week. What would you do differently if this was your last month on the earth? How would you live differently? And when you wake up thinking about that every morning, you do live differently and you love differently. And so I just encourage you that to continue to to think about Matthew 25 and to get up every morning with an expectation of what God's going to do because the days are evil, but God says where evil abounds, grace all the more abounds, and we have that promise. So I just want to thank you for listening to us and, and thank you for everything that you do. God bless you. I lighten things up. I probably uh, have never started a sermon with, um, I was in the bathroom, um, but I was in the bathroom, and uh, there was a little kid in there. I couldn't see him. They were, you know, in, over there, but there was a little kid in the bathroom this morning. I don't know if he was with his father or his grandfather. Yeah, your son. Or, or, and, uh, and I heard him say, today is a great church day. I was thinking, amen. And then he said, um, when I see church, they're always dancing. Next phrase, exact words, not kidding, right? When I see the church, they're always dancing. Short pause, I guess they love Jesus. I was like, we need to put you up here. That kid's going to be preaching one day. It's such a blessing. Again, I'm overwhelmed. Stand up here and have the privilege to open the word of God with you this morning. And we're going to begin this morning in 1 Peter. If you have a Bible or a phone, tablet, whatever it is. You can find 1 Peter chapter 1, 
Peter wrote this letter to Christians about 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And these Christians were being severely persecuted. They were being um, arrested and, and tortured and, and executed for their faith in Jesus. Now, I doubt anyone here, maybe there are some exceptions, but most of us have never gotten up in the morning facing that reality that we could possibly die for our faith. But that was a reality in the first century. It's been a reality in many cultures. It's a reality today for some. Peter tells us in the closing verses of this letter, which we're not going to read, but that he wrote this letter to encourage these believers and to testify that this, this letter that he has written is the true grace of God and to stand firm in it. Well, when I hear that, I'm like, well, I need to know what this says because this says that this is the true grace of God. What I'm sharing with you, church, is the true grace of God that we're to stand firm in. Not cheap grace, not false gospel grace, but the true grace of God. And I don't know about you, but I need a grace that will save me and I need a grace that will sustain me and I need a grace that will enable me to persevere no matter what comes into my life. And so I'm very interested in what Peter has to say. True grace. So before we begin, let's pray. Father God, thank you for your true grace. Thank you for the rock that is Jesus that we can stand upon. The foundation that is not of sand that will hold us and sustain us and keep us through everything that life throws at us. Holy Spirit, guide us into truth this morning. Move in our hearts. This is a time of transformation. Transform us, Holy Spirit, by your word and by your power. That your glory would be seen and embraced in this house this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're not going to read the first nine verses, but in the first nine verses of 1 Peter chapter 1, I, I would encourage you to read it this week, this afternoon maybe. Peter reminds these Christians of the amazing grace of God in their salvation and new life. Not just in their salvation, in their salvation and new life. Peter says they were chosen by God the Father. Here we have Trinity that's involved in our lives. He said you were chosen by God the Father for sanctification by the Spirit of God for obedience to Jesus Christ. For what? You were saved for what? You are being sanctified, transformed for what? For obedience to Jesus Christ. Look at your neighbor and say, for obedience to Jesus. He says, every day we wake up with a living hope. That no matter what we face, we will have troubles, we will suffer, we even may lose our lives, but nothing and no one can take away the living hope that we have every day in Jesus Christ. And he says we have an eternal, that's not all. We got an eternal, an eternal inheritance that's waiting for us in heaven. We've been talking about being prepared. Peter talks a lot about that. He says you have an eternal inheritance waiting for you. It's kept in heaven for you and God's protecting you till he comes back and you get that inheritance. 
Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor mind conceived what God has prepared for his sons and daughters to enjoy for eternity. I don't think that we think enough about that. Then he says, we rejoice greatly. Those words in the Greek actually mean we leap for joy, like children. We leap for joy. Even in the midst of trials, they've come, he says, prove that your faith is real so that you don't have to doubt, do I have it? Do I belong to Jesus? Well, how do I know? I feel something. How do I know my faith is really saving faith? Is it because I walked the aisle? Is it because I signed a card? Is it because one day they dunked me in water? How do I know? He says those trials that you go through and you continue to walk with Jesus and you continue to be faithful, continue to be obedient, no matter what you face, even death, that's how you know. They come to prove that our faith is real and Peter says we love Jesus and we trust Jesus and we're filled with unspeakable joy. Why? Because we know we're receiving the goal of our faith and what is that? The salvation of our souls. If you don't know that, today is the day to know. That's how Peter starts the letter. And I'm already excited. We're going to pick it up in verse 10 this morning. Of 1 Peter chapter 1. And he said, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that will follow. It, it, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Do you know how precious your salvation is? Do you take time to, to appreciate what Christ has done for you? Just to bask in that amazing grace that he offers us in his son. Peter says the spirit of Christ told the prophets of the Old Testament about the grace that was going to come to us. And they studied and they tried to discover, to discover, you know, when is this going to happen? When are the words that he's given me going to come to pass? But the Spirit revealed to them that it's not for you. It's for these believers after the resurrection, until Christ returns. Not that salvation is not for them. Don't misunderstand me. He's saying these words are going to come to pass. There's going to be this salvation. And it's ours today. And Peter's, Peter wants to see how privileged we are to live in the time after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. A salvation that the Old Testament prophets, even the great Moses and Abraham and, and David, they only desired to see, they, they longed to see what we have the privilege to experience every single day. Do we appreciate that? Because that brings transformation. We're going to see. Do we really appreciate that we have this thing that they passionately desired and had to wait for. And it's ours. And he says, 
even the angels, even the angels hunger to know what it's like to be filled with the Spirit of God. To be truly filled with his spirit, with the fullness of God. To be connected intimately, united. The word says united to Christ. I in him and he in me. Peter wants us to appreciate how miraculous, how precious is our salvation and our relationship with Jesus. Is anybody with me? Verses 13 through 16. It says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Peter says, in light of what Christ has done for us, in light of the amazing grace of God, this precious salvation that we share, how do we respond to this grace? How do we live our lives? And after 12 verses of God's grace pouring in our lives through knowing Jesus Christ as our Savior, Peter begins to give us commands, not suggestions, commands. The language is imperative, commands. And Peter says we need to take control of our minds. We need to take our thoughts captive and focus on Jesus and seek his wisdom so that we can respond in every situation ways that honor and glorify him that trust in his love and his good purposes for us. And then he says something completely unnatural. He says, focus on eternity. Is that something I'm doing? It is. Do I? No, I'm good. I just, is it, is it bothering anybody? I like my hands free, I'm sorry. And then he says, focus on eternity. And this isn't normal or natural for us. It's it's supernatural. It can only be done by the Spirit of God that in the midst of test and suffering, to remember that this life is not all there is, that these difficulties are temporary, but Jesus is eternal. And he's faithful to his promises. And we probably don't think enough about eternity in the midst of our problems. And that's why Peter has to say, whoa, you got to stop that chaos in your mind. I mean, imagine getting up in the morning and knowing you could die for your faith and the thoughts that you would have of how do I avoid them? How do I do this? How do I still without? Can you imagine what your mind would go? How do I protect my kids? How do I protect my wife? I mean, all these things. He stop. Take control. Think eternity. Don't think presently. Think eternal. Don't think temporal. God's got it, but you got to give it to him. This is shocking that he says, especially in the most difficult times of our lives, We need to put our hope fully, that's what it says, completely on the grace that Jesus is bringing to us when he returns. I'm thinking, oh God, I need grace right now. 
And that's good. But he's saying it doesn't matter because you can endure all things because of the grace that is coming to you when Jesus returns. No matter how bad it gets, no matter hard, how hard it is, no matter how much it costs, you can endure, you can persevere with a faith that says, I'm not living here, I'm living there. Before Christ, we are all children of disobedience. The world don't like to hear that, but that's what the Word of God says. We are slaves to sin. We are children of disobedience. But Peter says in Christ, we're born again. And in Greek, it literally says, it calls us children of obedience. Not obedient children. There's a difference. We are children of Obedience. We're commanded to leave our old life behind. The life lived for Jesus in our ignorance. That's what it says, in our ignorance. Yes, I was ignorant of the truth. And we followed our flesh and the way and the devil but now he says we've received the grace of God and Peter tells us to be holy in all that we do to be holy and then he goes all the way back and quotes directly from the mouth of God in the book of Leviticus in the law and he says Be holy as God is holy. Now, now we use this word holy in church a lot. You hardly ever hear it outside of church unless somebody's using it to say something ugly. Holy whatever. I I was in basketball camp in high school when there was this six foot nine guy that was my roommate from Minnesota. We were in Pennsylvania. And his favorite phrase when he has trouble, thankfully, was holy buckets. Holy buckets. He must have said that 200 times that week. And I just laughed because I'd never heard anyone say holy buckets. But it's a lot better than what we usually put behind holy. But we use it in the church. You know what? I will do that because that's got to be driving you crazy. Is that good? Okay. All right. Sorry, y'all. And so we need to understand because there's a lot of confusion about what this word holy means when it says to be holy. Holy means to be set apart for a purpose. To be set apart from something to something. From something for something. In our case as Christians, it is to be set apart for God, for his purposes. And there are two sides to this, and one is to renounce or to turn away from what we are being separated from. We separate ourselves through true repentance and faith. And the other side is to seek to live a new life by grace, by the power of the Holy Spirit. A new life that hungers and thirsts for righteousness, that pursues holiness, that is in the process to become who God has said I am, which is a child of obedience. Jesus came to give us abundant life, to save us, to transform us by his grace, to give us new desires, to seek to live our lives with new purposes, to be more and more like Jesus, reflecting his character, his mind, his heart, his will. 
And we need to understand that we are commanded to live a life that is radically different from the life we lived when we were ignorant before we knew Jesus. We're commanded to live a life that is radically different. People should not look at us after we come to know Jesus and recognize us if they knew us before. Radically different from the lives of our unbelieving friends and our world in general. And because we seek to be conformed to Christ, to do his will, not conform to the ways of the world, not bowing to the pressure of culture, not running with the majority. You run with the majority. Jesus is not in the majority, I'm sorry. We run with the minority. We are to be strangers, foreigners in the world because we do not seek what they seek. We do not speak the way they speak. We do not do what they do. We do not desire what they desire. We do not act like they act. And if we do, as Paul says, we need to examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith. It's always been in the heart of God to have people that reflect his character in the earth. Set apart for his purposes, for him. And that, friends, is what it means to be holy. Not perfect, but completely different. To be holy like him. That's us. That's the church. Friends, we have a problem in the body of Christ. The lack of holiness. The lack of a hunger and thirst for righteousness. In the, in the church. Among people that confess his name. And raises their hands and declare their love for God. And as that kid said, dance before the Lord. I guess they love Jesus. Well, I hope they love Jesus. But there's no guarantee. I can fool you so easy. You have no idea who I am. And I can stand up here and preach the word of God to you and you can make assumptions about me and the reality is I could walk out there and live like hell and you wouldn't know the difference. But sooner or later, if you spend time with me, you'll find out who I really am. And by my fruit, you will judge me not to condemnation, but you will evaluate and you will say there is a child of God. There is cheap grace that is infecting the church like a cancer. It's nothing new, but it's a big problem. It's not, it's, it's not just in the United States. It's everywhere there is a church. There are people who have bought the lie, the false gospel and it's manifesting in churches where homosexuals are being ordained to preach the word of God. Where the divorce rate is as high, and this is nothing new, in the church as it is outside of the church. Does that sound like transformation to you? It sounds like cheap grace. I could come to church and dance around and I can go home and sleep with somebody that's not my spouse. And I'm good. Jesus has got my back. Friends, you better hit the floor. Very soon. And get right with God. Because that's not the gospel. You can confess Christ. You can tend church. You can go home. You can drink too much on Friday night, raise your hands and declare for your love for God on Sunday morning. You can cuss and use filthy language and gossip 
and slander and use the same mouth to praise God. And many are thinking that it's okay. I made a decision 20 years ago. I walked down an aisle. I declared my love for God. I believed the gospel and I got dunked in water and I'm good. Doesn't matter how I live. And all this stuff about, oh yeah, obedience is optional and it just determines rewards. Friends, that's a lie from the pit of hell. That is not the gospel. We are children of Obedience. We are called to be holy as God is holy. Not perfect. Pursuing holiness. I just want to read some. I don't normally do this, but I just, I just feel like I got to provide some support here because I think there are people who have sat in churches for many years and they've thought, that's not the gospel that I've been hearing. And look, there are churches, even in this city and in other cities around the world, who are jam-packed with hundreds of people who hear that every Sunday. Who hear that every Sunday. Just come up here, pray your prayer, we'll dunk you in a few weeks, and you're good. You don't ever have to worry about it anymore. And if they really wanted to come clean and tell what they were really telling the people, what they're telling them is, you can forget about Jesus until he comes back. Do you think that Jesus has come back for people who have forgotten about him since they took a bath? It's not true. Matthew 7.21, okay, Jesus, okay, Jesus. Matthew 7.21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, but he who does the will of my Father, who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Luke 9, 23 and 24, then he said to them all, this is Jesus, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross one time, take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life, your old life, you'll lose it. But whoever loses their old life for my sake, you will find life that you cannot imagine. And it will last for eternity. John, the, God, the, 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 the apostle John, 1 John 1, 6, if we claim to have fellowship with him, that's Jesus, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. 1 John 3, 9, no one who is born of God continues to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. It's impossible. For you to live in a lifestyle of sin and claim that you belong to God. It's impossible. Sooner or later, you will repent and leave it or you will die and go to hell. Period. Paul. You can read Romans 6 if you want, but here's Romans 6, 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with Jesus so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. The word says that you are a slave to whom you obey. You're either obeying Jesus and a slave to Jesus, or you're obeying the devil and you're a slave to him, and there's no in-between. Romans 12, 4, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, which in this case is your whole selves, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship, not this. That's worship, but this is your true and proper worship. What does your life say you worship? Not what does your worship say you worship. The writer of Hebrews, Paul. The writer of Hebrews, if we deliberately keep on sinning, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, 
no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. There's the key word. There's the key word. Because please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that if I say a harsh word to my wife in the midst of a discussion, and I say a harsh, sinful word to my wife, that I'm going to hell if, if, if I don't like, you know. I used to go to a, I used to work with a lady who went to a church here in town, and they believed that if I was driving a car at Wrightsville Beach, she used this example, not mine. If you were driving a car at Wrightsville Beach, I'm a pastor, or let's just say any Christian, male. I hope it's male. And you're driving a car at Wrightsville Beach, and you see a young lady in a bikini, and you lust after her, and you're looking at her, and you run into a tree and die, you're going to hell. Because you didn't have time to repent for that sin. Okay, I'm not saying that. The word says if I deliberately continue to live in a life of sin, if I keep speaking anger and, and discouragement and evil sinful language to my wife and I do not repent and I do not allow the Holy Spirit to change me, then I'm in trouble. I really need to examine whether I am truly in the faith. And those words are from Paul, not from Peyton. If, if, if it didn't matter, then why would he say examine yourself? He's not talking about examine yourself to see if you walk the aisle, you sign the card, you got dunked in water. Examine yourself because at youth camp, you came in, and you, so you need to make sure you did that. That's not what he's saying. He's writing to Christians in a church, and he says, examine yourselves to see if you are in the faith. James 2.17, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, which is obedience, my friends, it is dead. You say, well, it says good works. He's talking, the context is good works. Good works are obedience. Obedience It's all obedience. Jesus says it, I do it. Jesus goes, I follow. Jesus stops, I stop. Obedience. I want to take you into the counseling room for a minute. As a pastor, Pastor Tom can tell you, other pastors here probably can tell you. You get an opportunity to listen to people and counsel people. Many people say to me, Pastor, I know that God hates divorce, but I don't love him anymore. Pastor, I, I know that the word says I shouldn't do this or that. I, I know that this relationship is, is sinful. But here comes the line, and I've heard it a hundred times. I believe that God, but I believe that God wants me to be happy. If you're taking notes, you want to write this down. I truly believe that God wants you to be happy. I do. I believe that God has done everything in his heart of, of unmeasurable, unconditional, amazing love and grace to make it so that we have no excuse for not being happy, joyful, But here is the deception. God wants you to be happy, but not more than he wants you to be holy. God wants you to be happy, but not more than he wants you to do what is right. Not more than he wants you to obey him. Not more than he wants you to be holy. We like to pit happiness and holiness against each other as if they don't mutually exist. And I'm telling you, the only way to true joy 
lasting, life-permeating joy, unspeakable joy is on the path of holiness. Not on the path of thank you, Jesus, for my salvation, but now I'll take it from here. You can't take it. Apart from him, you can do nothing. His commands are for our good, so what's the problem? And look, if I sound like I don't have problems with sin, let me tell you, I am not immune to this. I'm preaching to myself. Do not think that I'm standing up here self-righteously and arrogantly accusing you of something. Let me tell you, I deal with this. I have to die, Paul said, every day. Or I will live for myself. I will do what I want to do. I will use foul language against my wife or whatever. I will do, I am very capable, trust me, of doing everything as an enemy of God. And it's only by his grace, it's only by his spirit, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. There is an antidote to sinfulness. And it's walking by the spirit of God in intimate connection with Jesus. And that, my friends, is the only way that you can live holy. Pastor, I know this may not be his will, but, but I believe God wants to bless me in it. I, I believe God still wants to bless me, although I have chosen not to do his will in this area of my life. And there is no doubt in my mind that God wants, wants to bless you. God wants to bless you. God wants, he said, I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. He wants to bless you. But not more than he wants to bury you. God wants to bless you, but not more than he wants to bury you. Well, pastor, what do you mean God wants to kill me? No, he wants to bury your old life. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and he gave himself up for me. God, I need you. I need you because I lay down on the altar kicking and screaming. Someone said the only problem with living sacrifices is they can get up and run away. You kill me first. But it don't work like that. You got to die. You got to climb up on that altar willingly. You got to climb up on that altar every day willingly. Just like Isaac. Daddy, what you doing? It's going to be okay. God's going to provide. Well, Daddy, what you doing? It's going to be okay, son. God's going to provide. And look. Derek, don't touch him. I got it right here. Don't touch him. Daddy, what are you doing? Okay, okay, take me, circumcise me, kill me, so that I can live for you, so that I can be holy and pleasing to you. Path to the promised land goes through the desert. path to new life to abundance and peace and unspeakable joy it goes through a cross Jesus said that you got to pick up and carry with you every single day is anybody with me this morning in verse 17 
through 19. We're not going to read it. But Peter makes it clear that he doesn't buy that false gospel either. Because he tells us that God our Father is also our judge. You can read it when you get home. Read First Peter tonight, tomorrow. Take some time and meditate on it. But he tells us that God our Father is also our judge. You cannot separate his love from his justice. Many people try, but you can't do it. Jesus came full of grace and full of truth. You can't separate the two. His love and his justice, one is not more um, predominant, if you will, than another. And so obviously Peter had a reason to say, and by the way, the father who loves you, he's also your judge. And he's an impartial, perfect judge. And it says that every one of us we will be judged according to what we have done. Not according to what we have confessed, but according to what we have done. I want to close today. I want to teach you a phrase in Spanish. I want to I want to teach you a simple phrase in Spanish. And I want you to get it in your spirit. I want you to write it down. I want you to put it in your phone. I want you to put it on your mirror. Whatever you got to do in your car. Super simple. And the phrase is this, vale la pena. Look at your neighbor and say, vale la pena. It's real simple. Vale la pena. Vale la pena. You can imagine what pena is. Pain. Vale value in a way. So what does vale la pena means? Mean? It means it's worth it. It's worth the pain. Vale la pena. It's worth the pain. It's worth the cost. Jesus said to count the cost. What cost are you counting if you can nod at Jesus and just wait for him to take you to heaven? There's no cost in that. Life change, transformation hurts. It's costly. Dying every day is painful. It's not easy. Jesus says that walking with him on his terms, not our terms, on his terms come at a great cost. To follow Jesus in this world faithfully will cost you your life. To love and to forgive and to serve when it's hard. Sacrificing your time and your treasure. Maybe some relationships that aren't good for you. Maybe some things that you you like to do that you can no longer do. Some people you like to, to be around, but they're just not good for you. Some music that you need to cut off Because it's feeding evil in your spirit. You may have to go where God says go. I can tell you about that. And do what God says do even when you don't like it. Even when you don't like it. Even when it hurts. There's no other way to truly be his disciple. There isn't. It's a decision that every one of us have to make. 
People are going to discount you. They're going to take advantage of your love and kindness. Some will accuse you, criticize you, condemn you, reject you. Maybe even in your own family, but I have some great news for you this morning. I have some news to feed your spirit this morning. Vale la pena. It's worth the pain. It's worth the cost. You need to know that. That every time you choose Jesus to follow Jesus and to trust Jesus and to obey Jesus and to stand up for Jesus and his truth against the popular culture, and it's coming like we've never seen. You need to know that it's worth it. It's worth the fight. It's worth the setbacks. It's worth the disappointments. It's worth the delays. It's worth the wait. It's worth it. To know that you have loved passionately. That you have served faithfully. That you have suffered patiently. And you have sacrificed joyfully. For the cause of Jesus Christ. It's worth it. To know that one day. You're going to stand before Jesus. Face to face. And it's going to be about what you did with. The name of Jesus. What you did. With the opportunity that he presented to you in the gospel. The fruit that grew out of your life will be the testimony, the authenticating factor, the evidence that you're in the faith, that you belonged to Jesus, that you loved him, He said, if you love me, you will obey me. And you can't exegete that out of scripture. To hear him say, well done. Well done. My good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of your master. I know we're about out of time, but I just want to. I want to invite you to come. Some of you, maybe, I'm not saying this is a word from God, but some of you maybe are not convinced that it's worth the pain. You're clinging to your old life. And you've heard it, and you've heard it, and you've heard it. But you haven't truly let it go. You haven't made the decision to truly die on a daily basis. Some of you are in places spiritually and doing things that you just shouldn't be doing. And maybe you thought you were okay, but maybe the conviction of the Holy Spirit is telling you, you know what, this is not okay. It's not okay, as the word says, to trample the Son of God underfoot. And it's, it's time to say, Jesus, I'm sorry that I've been walking on you instead of walking with you. I've been trampling on you and the grace that you so freely give instead of walking with you. I've been walking on you, and I want to stop. And I need you to blow a fresh wind in my spirit and bring life. I want to surrender. Others of you have other needs. You can't forgive something. You can't love unconditionally because you've been hurt and you won't let him in. The word said, and we were singing about break our walls down. You need some walls broken down this morning so that you can walk in new life and freedom and victory. And so I just want to invite you to come. There is no judgment here.